With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us in a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Sit back as we discuss hard lessons from the best and brightest the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are on your personal path. Ballistic Radio is brought to you by Centurion Arms. Hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. Now here's your host, John Johnson. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms. Hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. I'm your host, John Johnson. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at ballisticradio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, class announcements, um, calls for rationality, other things like that, at facebook.com slash ballistic radio. Hey, Joe. Anything happened in the last uh, week or so? Uh, you know, nothing that really surprises me anymore. So, you know, I'm just uh, trying to trying to think. What if anything interesting happened in the last week or so? Um, I don't know if you're watching The Expanse, but that's getting pretty sporty right now. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. Do you believe this is season nine? Is it? Yeah, it would be season nine, beginning the, the first one here. Um, well, no. So, it'll be season nine this year. Still on season eight for another couple months because I don't do uh, calendar my 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 year actually starts in like April. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, so it's not like a January is season nine. It'll actually be like April is season nine. But I I'll cut this out. No, you don't have to. You don't. Hey, I try to be pretty transparent with the listeners. They they need to they need to know the type of person they're listening to. So, but yeah, it's kind of weird. I've been doing this a little while now, and I I distinctly remember the first season and you've been involved in the show since the very beginning. And I, I kind of got the strong feeling that when we started this, you're like, yeah, this'll, this'll go for a couple weeks. It'll so, be about six months. Yeah. Maybe six months. So, um, thanks for being part of it, man. I, I appreciate it. I'm getting misty. Yeah. So, but Hey, we got a super cool guest joining us today. Live, in person, well, not in person, it's actually on the phone, but I just wanted words to say before this intro. It's it's Captain Marshall Chuck Haggard, or Marshall Captain Chuck Haggard? I don't know. Have we have we determined what it is yet, Chuck? I don't think we have. I think that's still to be determined. We need a ruling. Legendary lawman, Capitan Marshall Chuck Haggard. All right. For for those that don't, I mean, I don't know that you could beat that kind of intro that I just gave you, but for those that have maybe not listened to the show before because you've been on it a lot or for whatever mm-hmm. reason have skipped out on your episodes, who are you and what do you do? Uh, well, 
<laughs> I am a, I am a captain uh, on a small department here in Kansas now as a post-retirement gig. And I was just reflecting during that uh, little intro that the, the Marshall thing sometimes confuses people. I'm not a Marshall, have never been a Marshall, like a U.S. Marshall. Uh, that was a moniker that the late, great William April gave me. Um, you know, I'm actually kind of a little bit sad because the promotion I got, he would probably find a way to pick on me about it, and it makes me sad that he's no longer with us to do that. So I kind of kind of miss being cyber-bullied by, uh, by William. It was very um, good-natured and very skilled cyber-bullying, too. Always, always, always. So he gave me the Marshall moniker because I was from Kansas and there's the old West thing and the tie in with my mustache. And he thought it was very Wyatt Earp. And uh, so it just kind of, he inflicted that upon me and it stuck. It's funny how most of the nicknames that stick are inflicted upon us by the people that care about us. And there mm -hmm. is, there is no way getting around them and, You'll you'll run into people and are like, where'd that come from? And it's like, man, it's too it's it's hard to explain. So I've got I've got a couple like that. But all the good ones have a story. Yeah, yeah. So you've been you you mentioned so you're a captain on a small department now, post retirement gig, but before your current duties you retired from a rather larger department. Yeah, I did uh, 28 years as a cop, uh, various roles, left as a uh, shift commander. Uh, I'm currently in my 34th year of law enforcement. Um, I'm in, on, <laughs> on the side, which William also gave me no amount of crap for, uh, or an endless amount of crap for, I'm also a firefighter, air crash rescue specialist, uh, a couple other things that I've learned how to do since I retired. Still doing the training on the side with my own business. Uh, I've had a surprising amount of expert witness work um, below the radar here in the past few months. And unfortunately, I expect that that is going to continue to be a thing. Um, it makes me good money, but for me to do expert witness work, typically somebody else has to be in a pretty bad place, legally speaking, you know, facing a lawsuit or a criminal case or something like that. So um, I always have mixed feelings about that kind of work. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. So you've been, and I'm not, I'm not intending to imply anything at all about your age uh, because you are a much more capable individual than I can ever dream of being, but you've been doing this. 34 years now, I'll be 38 in about a month. So you've been doing this pretty much as long as I've been alive, we'll say. And what I wanted to ask you about, uh, and I clearly put quite a bit of thought into this. You know, I've been thinking about this uh, for a real long time. And Chuck is laughing because we're actually pretty good friends and he knows that that's not how I roll generally, but... So you've seen all sorts of interpersonal violence, investigated all sorts of interpersonal violence. We mm -hmm. talk about like typical things that happen in self-defense encounters that happen inside of violent encounters. And we try not to say average because that's not a good way to frame it, I don't think, in our minds. But there are typical self-defense encounters. What I'm curious about is what some of the weird stuff you've seen 
as far as interpersonal violence goes or self-defense specifically, if um, you have anything that would fit inside of that sort of paradigm. But what do what does an outlier look like in your mind? You know, really, when you get down to it, uh, when we go look about our day-to-day business and like what Pat, uh, Uncle Pat Rogers used to call uh, average earth people, uh, a violent encounter is somewhat of an outlier, although unfortunately, as uh, crime rates ebb and flow, it's becoming much more common than it was uh, here in the recent past. Most people may not know, you know, we have an idea of like the olden days, like leave it to Beaver, you know, uh, uh, Sheriff Andy and Mayberry, that kind of level of violence, you know, the world was pretty safe. A lot of people left their their doors unlocked, that sort of thing. We had very heavy violent crime in the late 60s and the 70s. Uh, Like when Pat was in New York, they called that the war years. Uh, And uh, we had another big chunk of that when people think of uh, what is becoming ancient history, like the Boys in the Hood, the, the, the Colors movie days. Where we had uh, you know the rise of the Crips and the Bloods and a lot of gang violence. We had the Cocaine Cowboys down in Miami and that sort of thing. That w- that was a big bump in the stats during the '80s and then '90s, and we kind of actually as a society crushed all that. And I think we've been our short-term memory and our our societal ADD doesn't allow us to remember that these things are cyclical and they come back particularly if we let them or we're not paying attention or we are in denial that it's a possibility. Uh, So what we're seeing is uh, we had leave it to beaver levels of violent crime uh, all over the country and people took that for granted. Um, And we're seeing a real spike in the past couple of years in uh, many metropolitan areas where that's really, it's getting quite a bit worse. Murder rates, armed robbery rates, aggravated assaults, things like that. Sure. Um, and one of the things that suppresses the murder rate is uh, from what it used to be, there's people now who are living through events that are going to be categorized as an aggravated assault or aggravated battery that would have been a homicide victim back in the 70s because uh, medical technology has gotten so much better than it was back then. Uh, And then, you know, we have a lot of things we didn't used to have, like the rise of TCCC in law enforcement, where you have cops that are carrying things like tourniquets and uh, Israeli bandages and things like that. Uh, People back in the day wouldn't have made it to the hospital with enough blood to survive. They are commonly doing that now. Right. So, um, when we when we look at kind of the outlier events, depending on what year we're talking about, just being involved in anything at all can be an outlier. Uh, but well, you know, when we were talking about what we want to talk about, one of the uh, one one of the common things that I continue to run into that, that people poo poo on the internet is uh, the training aspect. I've seen people with training, people without training, people without training defaulting to uh, under stress, critical incident, good idea fairy stuff. And that's that a lot of times in these incidents where you're, you're like, how did that happen? Um, and you realize it happened because uh, they were under a lot of stress or metal Rolodex was, uh, was being overwhelmed and they did something 
that uh, might be kind of hard to explain. Uh, well, and that... partially because haven't haven't they haven't trained, they haven't war game, they haven't thought this process out ahead of time. So now they're caught up in the moment. Well, that's a that's a good spot to pause, actually, because we have to go to break and and get into the next segment here in a second. And I would like to ask more about that. Um, but right now we are talking, I'm, I'm not going to do the whole moniker because it'll, I'll mess it up right now. We're talking with Chuck Haggard. You're listening to ballistic radio. Welcome back to ballistic radio brought to you by Centurion arms, hard use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by Wilson combat, Wilson combat makers of the finest custom 1911s and scattergun since 1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the EDC X9 series of firearms, which offers discriminating shooters, 1911 match-grade accuracy, superior ergonomics, and concealability, with modern service pistol capacity, as well as reliability, at www.wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with Chuck Haggard, and you were... I kind of posed the question... As far as what, what's some of the weird stuff you've seen? And you were, you know, you were sort of outlining how a self-defense encounter or a violent encounter in general, depending on what time period we're in, in and of itself is an outlier. And, you know, I, I suppose as the population increases, even if the crime rate's up, it's still an outlier. But some of the weird stuff that happens inside of that, the the weird things, I think the the point that you were trying to make, oftentimes come from folks that are not trained or are under trained, and the good idea fairy decides to uh, grace us with their mm-hmm. presence. Most people are uh, familiar when when you're under critical incident stress, the words fight or flight response. Uh, a little bit more complex than that, and then some of the the human condition things that pop out include fight, flight, surrender, freeze, posture. Um, one of the the quibbles I have with people in some of the self defense community, let's say uh, I don't know point shooters. When they talk about they're going to do something instinctive or they're going to do something this is natural, is it's not natural if we're talking about fighting with guns to uh, point a small pipe bomb at something else in front of your face and uh, set that pipe bomb off and in the pressure vent launch launch a projectile. That's not natural. There's nothing wired into the human condition that allows that. But we have opposable thumbs and big brains that allow us to use tools. So what we need to do is figure out how to use those things to best effect. Uh, one of the few things that would be natural to human beings is pick up something heavy and start swinging it in uh, uh, big gross motor swings at something uh, using a big rock or a stick uh, and try to fend, uh, fend the bad thing off. And we can see that kind of behavior. You, you can pull up nature video of chimps in Africa with a big stick swinging at a leopard. Uh, I would hope that we would want to have a better, uh, more thought out, more robust response than a chimp is capable of. You know, mm-hmm. um, there, there's a, we drive cars, we use computers, we have math and music and things like that. Perhaps we should act like it 
uh, train above those kind of capabilities. So because we're cognitive as human beings and we should use that evolutionary advantage that we've had over the rest of the animal kingdom for a very long time. Um, one of the one of the things I've been thinking about over the past couple of weeks with some of the incidents that we are seeing um, and just the, you know, the thing at the Capitol the other day, uh, some of the videos, some of the, the, uh, the stills that have come off of that, um, you and I have talked in the past about how people don't get things out of their hands that should be out of their hands when they're trying to handle a gun. Yep. I saw a video of one of the Capitol police officers <clears throat> with an expandable baton in his hand and it was next to his palm so it's in between his palm and his service pistol all at the same time right. uh, that's like an incredibly poor response to the scenario he was involved in but as you and i have talked about in the past it's also an incredibly common thing to be get caught up in when you are task fixated on something else and you do not have a robust series of hardwired skills to fall back on in handling your gear and equipment. Yeah. Um, and, so and that, that's, well, I was going to, I was going to say to tack onto that too. I think that, you know, and this is something that I focus on in the coursework that I'm involved in. I think that that is also reflective of <clears throat> the level of competence that somebody has as far as, you know, unconscious, competence versus conscious competence and things like that. And oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, I think the thing that people miss about all of this is that when you're inside of one of these situations, you're going to be handling your firearm unconsciously. And like, because you're going to be focused on the thing that is potentially trying to kill you. And if you have not overlearned that particular task, um, you'll either be handling it unconsciously well, or you'll be handling it unconsciously very poorly. And, and that might be that's an ill. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if that's that might be an in inelegant way to say it, but that's sort of what I've come up with. Is you're probably not going to be thinking about the gun in your hand because you're not going to be able to. And it probably behooves you to make sure that if you're not thinking about the gun in your hand, that you're doing that really well. And I know that sounds weird, and there's going to be people that hear that and be like, what the hell is he trying to say? And, and maybe you could expand on that to, to explain to people what the hell I'm trying to say. Well, the, the, the overlearning thing sounds like, well, you... you I, I learned it, but I overlearned it. it. It's it's an expression that you've myelinated, that you've hardwired that skill into your repertoire um, <clears throat> at a level that that physical skill can manifest itself subconsciously while you are cognitively handling some other issue. Anybody who, who is an accomplished uh, pistol carrier, let's say, uh, especially in the law enforcement world, will have an incident where something happened. Like they were, they were. Uh, I I have been talking to one person, have gunfire come from a different direction, and when you react uh, and start moving, then at some point you realize that there is a gun in your hand. Let's say at low ready, 
and you have no conscious memory of making the decision to pull that gun or to to do whatever you're going to do with it. Uh, I had an incident at work where I had to uh, fire my M4, and because of the way everything was set up, I actually had transitioned the carbine to weak side. So during the course of that incident, um, when it got the shots fired, my safety came off. I fired a shot. I had to move. I transitioned to my strong side. I fired another shot. And then the whole thing was over with. And I looked down at my carbine because I'm like, oh, man, uh, there's a danger with a carbine being on a sling, off safe, catching on your gear, and it, and it goes off. That's that's something that is rife in the tactical and the military community is having, uh, having an MD uh, via equipment issues. Paul Howe talked about that at length in one of his newsletters. Um, but at any rate, I looked down at my carbine to be sure and it's on safe, and uh, my ejection port's closed. Yeah. And I know guys that, guys that were in the Army that got yelled at about the ejection port cover know what I'm talking about. But I have no memory of that sequence. I have no memory of transitioning from strong side to weak side. I have no memory of the carbine coming off safe and going back on safe. And I certainly didn't remember an admin task of uh, closing my ejection port cover, yet all of those things happened at a subconscious level because I had trained for them to happen and I had gotten, you got to get your reps in. You're not trained until you get your reps in. Yeah. Um, I had a long conversation with again, late great Jim Cirillo uh, and he was talking about sight pictures and he told me that he was strongly of the opinion that people who are well-trained at picking up their sights under duress will see the sight picture that they need to see to make the hit that they need to make in the moment. Yeah. And that he believes they do this at the subconscious level, which is why we often have so he thought so few cases of really good hits, but then shooters that don't remember seeing their sights. They don't remember it because they weren't thinking about it. They were thinking about other things in the moment. Um, so they defaulted to this hardwired, well-trained skill. Um, and what we know about the science of this is that makes complete sense uh, and would also explain, you know, my incident, safety on, safety off, things like that. And really, with the, in the gun world, that's where we want to be. That's what I think we should be trying to attain. Yeah. And from, you know, from my personal experience as well, um, I had an incident <clears throat> that involved a dog, but I was carrying a SIG 226 at the time, uh, appendix. And anyway, needed to, needed to draw the gun and fire a shot. And then I needed the gun, not in my hand anymore because I needed to talk to somebody that was unhappy that I happened to be carrying a firearm and decided that I did not want to be bit by their dog. Um, and the, Anyway, the part that strikes me about all of that is, you know, incident is done, you know, go home, blah, blah, blah. And I've reholstered the pistol after firing a shot and it's decocked and no, no, mm -hmm. no memory of doing it. Uh, mm -hmm. Did it one handed while controlling my dog because I had my dog in my left hand at the time, uh, his leash. And it's just, yeah, that's, that's funny how 
things that we do a lot because they are the right thing to do, things that we do a lot in training because they're the right thing to do, transfer over to those real world incidents and people, you know, talk about, well, you won't remember to do this. You won't remember to do that. The entire point is getting it to getting it Mm -hmm. to the level where you don't have to remember to do it. It's just something that you do and it happens. Um, we, and the flip side of that was the, you know, back in the day when cops carried double action, single action guns, getting them trained to that point was very problematic. They yeah. would have a critical incident and then they would try to holster with the hammer back. There was more than a few negative outcomes of uh, that happening. Yeah, no, it's uh, if you're going to carry a DASA gun, you need to absolutely need to get it to the point. I'd say the number one thing that you need to do if you're going to carry one of those guns is get it to the point where whenever whenever you're unmounting the gun, it gets decocked whether or not mm-hmm. you've fired a shot. And I know that sounds weird, but oftentimes I will find myself, uh, like if I present it out to a target, decide not to shoot it, come back to you know, a compressed ready or something like that, I've hit the decocker without even thinking about it. It's just, it's very, very ingrained. Um, And there are other workarounds for that, but that's always the way that I've done it. And it seems to, seems to have worked out. We have to go, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, we have to go to break so we can Mm -hmm. talk more about that. And we, we've sort of danced around it a little bit, but I know, I know you've got to have in your mind one or two, odd things that you've seen that you can relate to the listeners. I'm, I I don't generally like to do the war story thing, but I think it'll kind of illustrate some points as far as the weird things that people do uh, inside of this sometimes. Anyway, we're talking with Chuck Haggard, and you're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-use rifles and accessories at easy day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment brought to you by BigTexOutdoors.com. BigTexOutdoors.com is the best place for you to find all of your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the lumens from ModLite at the lowest price, or maybe even Candela, because it's kind of important, more important than lumens. No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and need an RMR or some other optic on your carry gun? Well, BigTexOutdoors.com has those, and they don't judge. Glock accessories? Yes. Fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, BigTexOutdoors.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike. Everybody likes Ike. And you'll like Ike, too. Visit BigTexOutdoors.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend not just an order. So we're talking with Chuck Haggard about weird stuff and the importance of overlearning your your skills so that when you're presented with the weird stuff, you can actually do the skills and just really whatever else we think to talk about. And yeah, man, it's um, it's simple but not easy. To uh, to complete a thought from uh, the break, sure. Uh, when you were talking about decocking your your two two six, whether you needed to or not, you fall right into uh, Pat McNamara's. It's uh, always an enabler, never a disabler. When uh, you know when he reloads his carbine, it goes on safe. Uh, when he moves from one position to the next, it goes on safe. You know, on safe, off safe is a thing. 
and you look at really special guys, you know, in that group of people that he came from or, you know, some of the most accomplished warriors on the planet or in history, and they've gotten to a point where they do these things as part of their culture because of the lessons learned. We learn, uh, you know, you can have an, a superbly trained warrior that, that's at the tip of the spear of, of our modern military technology. And then, uh, you know, Paul Howe talks about one of the one of the guys on his team doing a ballistic breach with a shotgun and uh, breaches a door, slings a shotgun, goes to pick up his carbine and has a breaching slug uh, accidentally discharged through his calf. So now in the middle of this event, he is a very critical casualty and ends up medically retired from a, a really substantial wound because, you know, 72 caliber bullet is a big bullet. Um, so some of the stuff we talk about, people want to quibble about, but, you know, really capable, really trained people talk about defaulting to these, what seem to, to, to less educated people to be unimportant details. Oh, why do I want to do that? Well, it's because these are lessons learned in, in sweat and pain and blood. Uh, and, you know, and some of the other ones that, that I can think of, uh, or, or in negative outcomes, legally speaking. I was just thinking while we were talking, um, one of the issues I've seen over the past week is people spouting off on the Internet on the legalities of things that they have seen in critical incidents uh, on video in the past two weeks. We'll just say that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a common thing I see is people really don't understand the law. They just don't understand the law. And I see the this blustery things on, on the internet of, well, if somebody comes on my property, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to blast them. Or if they do this, I'm going to blast them. Or if they do that, I'm going to blast them. Um, you know, my, my, the education I, I give people on less lethal options and OC spray, I'm not going to carry OC spray. If I need that, I'm just going to use my gun. You're going to use your gun as an implement of deadly force in a scenario that would be demonstrably not deadly force because you could use pepper spray. Think, think, think about what you just said. Um, and not thinking about this ahead of time, we have a mutual friend who called me up after an incident. He had come out of his house very early in the morning, was carrying a bunch of boxes he had to take to the shipping hub. And as he turns around on his porch, he sees a dude legs sticking out of the driver's seat of his truck. Guy is in there uh, ripping a stereo out of the dash. So he's got a car burglary in progress, which is a felony in a vast majority of states. But he's standing there. He reaches for his gun. He's holding on to these boxes. He's scared of dropping the boxes because you don't want to break stuff. And then he's starting to pull his gun, and he's thinking, can I pull my gun on this guy? Um, I'm not, you know... What what can I do? Can I hold him at gunpoint till the police arrive? Uh, what's my move here? And he really wasn't sure in his state legally what he could do next. He's right. an action guy. He wanted to take action. Can I hold this guy at gunpoint and make a citizen's arrest, which is a real thing in many states? Uh, what what are What are my options? What can I do here? Well, right there, standing on your porch with a felony in progress, then probably a bad time to wonder, what can I legally do? Mm -hmm. So now he's got packages in one hand, gun in another. 
uh, wondering what to do next. You know, that's that's uh, that's kind of a crappy tactical position to be in, especially when you don't know if you can take decisive action because it's an ambiguous scenario. Um, so one of the things I like people to do is know the law. I see more and more uh, military guys who have had significant experience overseas, but um, you know they'll refer to some of these incidents that show up here in the United States and talk about ROEs. Sorry, folks, in the United States, we don't have rules of engagement. We don't have weapons hold, weapons free, things like that. Particularly in a law enforcement context, we have the Constitution of the United States and the decisions that have been brought down by bodies such as the Supreme Court that guide us, period, end of discussion. There are no ROEs in the United States. You either have a constitutionally legal use of force or you are wrong. That's it. Um, and you can't preset ROEs for a scenario, well, if they do this, you're going to do that. Well, sometimes you get a bright line. If I'm sitting in church and a maniac pulls a machine gun out, that's kind of a green light, you know. But very rarely do we find those scenarios that are just so profoundly like, oh, my God, i got to start shooting right now without saying another word. It's so clearly the thing to do. Um, so many times what we find ourselves in are these just muddled, muddy, ambiguous, shades of gray scenarios where we could have solved them if we had known what to do and how to do it quickly enough. Um, but we don't, you know, and so uh, – this scenario might resolve itself, it might not, but uh, I famously lately have been talking about that church shooting down in Texas where the, the Jack kind of crazy guy came in. Yeah, uh, he had the sawed-off shotgun under his armpit. Uh, he was he was talked to by a couple of the gentlemen, I believe were ushers, um, turned into a double fatal shooting before Jack Wilson made his famous 15-yard headshot. Uh, with his 357 SIG, and that led to so many people in the gun community to think about, uh, oh man, I got to make my 15 yard headshots, and let's buy 357 SIGs. When I, I really point out, you know, that whole thing could have been resolved without any shots fired whatsoever if the gentleman in close contact had physically done something decisive early on. Right. But what they did was stand there wondering what to do and how to handle it. You're talking about odd scenarios. They stood there and allowed a crazy dude to work up his nerve, if you will, to kill them. So they're going to stand there and watch the situation unfold because they're not sure what to do next and allow themselves to be murdered because they're really just not sure how to handle what's going on. Well, and, um, un and, and unfortunately, and I know that, <clears throat> and I'm sorry to bring it up because I know you've got some intensely personal um, experience with this, but it's very counterintuitive at close range when someone produces a weapon to move towards the weapon. And that is something that you have to train. And even people that have trained it, if they've not trained it enough, um, can 
can mess that up and can tool fixate and go for their own weapon or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. it often, I mean, commonly, commonly, commonly it, at the distances we're talking about has tragic outcomes. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Action beats reaction is very much a thing. You can get inside the other guy's OODA loop if you move decisively at very close range. But if you're in a fight at a couple of yards, if somebody's like the the church situation, because anybody can look that up on on video, uh, if somebody's pulling a gun on you from a yard or two, you won't back up and get your gun out in time for it to do any good. That is definitely, uh, you know, an ECQC, extreme close quarter skills uh, scenario where you're going to have to stuff the other guy's draw. That That's all that, you know, you may make an opening to get your gun deployed, but uh, that's probably going to be handled empty hands. And that's all that, that's all there is to it. Um <clears throat> You know, you, you were asking me about funny stuff, and I re, I do remember a defensive shooting where a guy tried to shoot and make distance. Um, remember that movie, Romancing the Stone? I do, but uh, hold that thought because we have to go to break. But I really want to see where you're going with this one. Um, we're talking with Chuck Haggard. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Centurion Arms, hard-used rifles and accessories at easy-day prices. Visit them online at centurionarms.com. This segment also brought to you by Centurion Arms. Even if you're just a cook, a lowly, lowly cook, or you call in tactical nukes from your couch every night with ease, you need to know that your life-saving equipment is going to work, and Centurion Arms knows it too. Veteran-owned and operated Centurion Arms is dedicated to producing firearms, parts, and accessories with an outstanding level of quality, functionality, and precision at prices you can afford. Whether you just need a new rail or barrel or something else to finish off your latest build, or maybe you want to take all the guesswork out and buy a complete rifle, Centurion Arms has got what you need and knows that when you need it, you need it to work. Visit centurionarms.com today to check out all their awesome products. Centurion Arms. Hard-use rifles and accessories at Easy Day Prices. So we're talking with Chuck Haggard, and he's about to make a Romancing the Stones reference, which I'm super excited about because it's one of my favorite movies from the 80s. Uh, please continue. So we know one of the one of the minor stars on that was Danny DeVito. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. He's uh, <clears throat> uh, People in Jeeps are showing up. He is trying to get out of Dodge, and of course, Danny DeVito is not a track star exactly. But as he's running through the field away from the uh, the bad guys in Jeeps uh, or the people that he's afraid of, he's taking his revolver and randomly sticking it backwards over his shoulder, uh, touching off rounds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Paul Howell, again, famously talk about he's of the opinion uh, shooting and moving is generally kind of a bad thing. Maybe in the middle of a close-range hostage rescue, you're going to do that. But generally, you want to shoot or you want to move. And if you want to move, you want to move very fast. And if you want to shoot, you want to plant and shoot and make your hits. And this kind of things we see in, like, IDPA where I'm going to do this little, like, sneaky step while I'm shooting just so I'm shooting while moving really tactically not viable but if you don't train things like this will manifest itself we had a defensive shooting kind of a a parking lot 
uh, carjacking scenario, which you know reinforces Tom Gibbons' assertion that there is there isn't street crime. There's parking lot crime. But uh, gentleman pulls his gun and uh, obviously decided that he also wanted to make distance um, in reenacting kind of what happened from the hit pattern all over the place. He broke leather, got his finger on the trigger, probably torched one off about two or three feet in front of his own feet. Um, gun is continuing to come up. I don't think it was ever in the eye target line. Uh, shoots his own car during the course of this event, shoots several other people's cars during the course of this event. And uh, I can only imagine from the the way things worked out, uh, have you seen guys USPSA or IDPA matches where you want to point your gun downrange and now I need to move fast so they'll like turn and do this like body gymnastics thing where the gun stays down range, but they turn their body around and they're running in the other direction, uh, keeping their muzzle in the same direction. So they don't violate 180 rule and then come back. Yeah. So the, I the, think you, you, you plant it. Yeah. You, you plant it on your shoulder <clears throat> is one way to do that. So, uh, well, I, I've seen a lot of guys do the finger outside the trigger. Uh, they will point the gun at the berm, and then they will turn their body uprange and then move uprange or sideways. And then so the gun is kind of floating. A lot of times it's sideways or upside down until they get to their shooting box, and then they come back to a normal shooting position. Well, I think this guy probably launched all of his rounds in that backwards runaway shooting position, not really a stance, yeah. or up over his shoulder while he was running away. Uh, so he's trying to do two things at once uh, as badly as possible. And uh, looking into the guy's background, he he was a, a guy that concealed carried, but uh, zero zero advanced training whatsoever beyond every once in a while going to the the indoor range and uh, you know firing some shots at some targets. Yeah. Uh, no no tactics, no movement, no force on force, uh, and also not robustly bringing skills to bear like what um, even if he'd have done something old school like a weaver stance you know he would have been much better off than what he did thankfully nobody got hit yeah uh, but that was you know fortuitous outcomes can reinforce bad tactics just because all's well that ends well it's it's really not uh he could have hit bystanders he hit several bystanders cars as it and then shot his own car as part of this deal bad guy ran away you know it was a carjacking or robbery attempt uh we don't know because yeah. uh, that that's one of those ones we didn't uh didn't catch the bad guy on as far as i know since i retired but um you know it's just it's one of those incidents where man that that's some that really, he really just did that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to relate some personal experience. So one of the, when I first got into all of this, one of the, one of the early classes I took was Amos with uh, Craig Douglas. So our movement and structures, uh -huh. and it's an incredible class. Highly recommend people go to it if they're able to, but I did okay most of that class up until the the culmination exercise which is a scenario and i'm not going to get into the scenario because i don't know if craig is still using it or not but there's 
a room that you want to be in and you've oh, I need to be careful here. There's at least one thing in the room you don't want to shoot and possibly something in the room you do want to shoot. And I remember instead of actually breaching the threshold of the room, I essentially stuck my arm around the corner of the door and just blind fired into the room uh, after I encountered <laughs> resistance, right? Tactical blind fire. Yeah, That's and, a thing. and if you want to talk about, and I, so I understand why that happened and where, where that came from, but um, it was not ideal, and I knew that it wasn't ideal, and I did it anyway, because at that point in my career, I just had not spent enough time uh, doing the right thing and was mm-hmm. overwhelmed, task overload, blah, 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 blah. But I, I say that to say that, you know, if you are like, oh, yeah, but I'd never do anything like that. Well, maybe not. Or maybe you would, and it's very much going to be dependent on how much time have you spent doing the right thing, you know, to, to tie it back into the beginning and over learning mm-hmm. and, and all that. Yeah, and I've seen stuff because you can get so many reps in force on force. Like I know one officer that we did not retain past the academy who uh, in a simunitions gunfight ran her gun dry, looked at her gun, threw it at the bad guy, which is just bad form because don't break my sim gun, mm-hmm. uh, threw it at the bad guy and then ran away, leaving her partner in a gunfight. Uh, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's not a pass on this scenario. Um, in it, so I guess my whole long-winded point is, is that the good idea fairy will bite you in the butt if you don't make sure that you have uh, reasonably, you have uh, you know solutions to some of these problems already war gamed out. All of us are going to be at a hurt for some kind of uh, response. You know, we're going to be doing it on the fly. If it's like alien lizard people invasion from Mars, you know, that's going to be, okay, I didn't see that one coming. I'm going to have to come up with something for that. But, you know, things, things that we realistically find ourselves in uh, or could find ourselves in, uh, an armed robbery if we're a shop proprietor, uh, a carjacking uh, some, some time during the, the, the course of our travels, going to Walmart or whatever the case may be. All, all of these things are pretty foreseeable scenarios that uh, the solution to the problem is, uh, as we have said, simple, but not easy. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned alien lizard people, and frankly, I would have laughed at that and been like, yeah, that'll never happen. But the way the last couple of years have gone, Chuck, <laughs> I don't know that I would be as surprised by that anymore. Um, you know, everybody's wondering what's coming next. No, no, I, I'm not. I know something is, and I'm not looking forward to it. Um, but we are at the end of the show. If people want to come and train with you, hear more of your thoughts, or in general consume more of your uh, your 
intellect, I suppose. Where can they do that at? So my uh, my website is agiletactical.com, all one word. Uh, so agile training and consulting. Uh, and uh, well, we have past podcasts with your show that, uh, that are available on the internet. Uh, I do this also with the primary and secondary guys, Matt Landfair's group. Uh, and I've, I've done magazine. If you Google me up, you can find magazine articles on concealed carry, active shooter, OC spray. I've written for the tactical wire for Rich Grassi. I've written for recoil magazine and a couple other things, all that I've Googled it up and it's all still there. Um, but, uh, my, my class calendar will be on my site on the agiletactical.com site. Perfect. Chuck, I appreciate you taking time out of your morning to talk to us. It is always a pleasure. And on a personal <laughs> note, uh, thank you so much for everything that you've done to help me develop and grow as a, as a human being and as uh, a student inside of all of this. And as an instructor, it, it means the world to me, seriously. I I appreciate the thought. Yeah. I do. Well, I I love you, man. I'll talk to you soon, okay? (laughs) Have a good one, brother. All right. Hey, make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And hey, keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes if you think we've earned it. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe and see you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.